This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Leadership Platform, Multiplying Leaders, Moving Society. It's a pleasure to be with you. Adrian Grunewald, your host, facilitator, whatever you want to call me. Uh, passionate about leadership, changing the world through leadership. All things leadership, uh, go to leadershipplatform.com. One word, two Ps in the middle. Um, but this is the Leadership Platform. Of course, it plays on Cliff Central, and it goes on to our app that you will find out more about in time. And it's wonderful to be with you today, our Leadership Masterclass. I'm excited. It's someone I've come to know fairly well, but um, discovered that I didn't know her so well when I heard her life story. And that inspired me to get her on the show. It's Dr. Tulasile Sazile Tabudi. She's the Group HR Exec at SPA. And I'll introduce her in a moment. We'll say hi to her with me today instead of the old man uh, who's about to travel overseas to visit his kids. Um, is is Kevin Farkerson, also from the Leadership Platform team. team. Kevin? Hi there, Arjun, and hi, Tuli. Hi. So what a pleasure to uh, to run this show every single week. Um, our special guest, Tuli, I met her, uh, it must be close to a year now. Um, we're doing a, a course together at the coaching center, TCC. It's a diploma in coaching but it's like a coaching MBA thing. I think if most of us knew it was so intense, I'm not so sure <laughs> that we would have <laughs> taken it on. But but she and I ended up in the same same learning group. Uh, so we spend literally hours a month, actually days a month together. And I've come to love her and appreciate her. But the other day I heard her story, kind of where she grew up and how, she, how her life took a different turn and, and where that pivotal moment was. And and one thing I realized, Kevin, is I did not know, and maybe I'm not at all observant, but I know something. She doesn't flaunt it at all. I didn't know she was a doctor. I almost fell oh. off my chair. I mean, I don't know why, but when she <laughs> shared her life story in the group the other day, and then I found out four degrees. Hold on. What are you saying? And then I realized she, she's a doctor. She's got a doctorate. I didn't even know that. So that just told me something else about her. I think she should flaunt it more, but... But I mean, it just again opened up my eyes. I've got this person that I'm spending a lot of time with, and she's so humble and dynamic. And I want her to share a story today. But before we do that, so Tuli, first of all, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. You're in Durban because because some of the weird companies in in this world just won't move their head offices up to Gauteng, which I understand, by the way, since I moved out of Gauteng. <laughs> Uh, so I fully understand more than I always used to judge harshly for, you know, McCarthy and you guys and Game and, and other organizations whose head offices seem to stay in, in Durban. But now that I live next to Kruger, I understand fully the unattractiveness of bringing a head office here. But anyway, it's great to have you on the show. Um, as I said, we will go into your life story in, in the next, we've got a, like 50, 55 minutes together. But we're going to kick off the conversation with you sharing four or five points that to you best describe authentic leadership. As someone who's gone through the mill, as someone who's at the top of SPA, you're the HR exec at SPA, uh, group HR exec. So um, big responsibility and therefore you will have strong views about leadership. I also know you're on your personal journey, which this whole program at TCC is about. It's a, a very intense, over over a year program that helps one discover a lot of things about yourself, but also about leadership. So 
you will share one point after the other with us, and but we'll have a conversation about each of those points. And um, and that gives us the opportunity to share it with the world on our app, the leadership platform, and of course on Cliff Central and, and via social media. So Tuli, take us away. Take us on this journey. What is the first statement or principle that to you best describe authentic leadership? Okay, so for me, uh, Adrian, it's about the fact that I lead from who I am. So I first need to understand myself as a human being. And in then leading other people, I need to make sure that I stay true to that. So I cannot try and be something else that I'm not. Mm. That means that people need to see the real Thule rather than a a Thule that's kind of like artificial, that's trying to conform to what the expectations are. So in my leadership, it means that I will not try and become an Adrian. Mm. I will be truly. So I'll appreciate myself as a female uh, leader, and I will not try and become one of the boys. And that, for me, is remaining myself and not trying to conform to expectations. So you lead from who you are. Tuli, can, can this be something that just happens in life anyway? I guess as we fumble through life, we will somehow come to know kind of who we are, I mean, life throws things at you. Life forces yes. you in a way to get to know yourself. But but do you think it's possible to really get to know myself unless I'm consciously on that journey? Unless I sit back, make time, go away, ponder, meditate, think. Uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I think a lot yes. of people might think, oh, it just happens par for the course. You know, it's, it's sort of a byproduct of life. But maybe 30, 50 years ago, in today's world, I'm not sure you can come by as a leader and that you can get to know yourself truly as you ought to um, if you don't do it consciously. Adrian, I agree with you. I believe uh, reflection is very important. So it's about making sure that you take time to analyze your own actions. I'm not suggesting that you must now embark on analyzing yourself to a point where you die from uh, the analysis itself. But it's about a time stepping back and analyzing the impact that you are having on situations or that you had on a particular situation. And be the big person at times and be able to say, you know what, I don't think that I handled it in the best way that I could have uh, handled it. So it's about constantly analyzing and reflecting on your leadership and finding ways to then say, Given the same situation in future, how would I deal with it differently? And I believe then from that point of view, you then learn rather than being complacent and being arrogant as a leader. That, that's how Kevin wants to come in here. But just before you do, Kevin, I, I mean, so true, Tuli. I support you, sustain you in that. But the only challenge is, <laughs> you know, life doesn't allow for leaders to sit and think. In fact, I think a lot of leaders feel guilty if they have to close their door or if they have to spend time thinking. Um, and they would, uh, they find themselves, well, that, that your competition for what you're saying is your time precious. Your yes. diary, your diary is booked hour by hour by your PA, by your staff, by internal, external meetings. When do you find time to think about this? So before you come back, Kevin, you want to come on board? Yes, I wanted to ask Tilly, do you ever involve anybody else in that? reflection and uh, internal per- perception? Do you, do you ask other people, colleagues or family members? A coach or anyone yeah. like that? 
yes, Kevin, I actually do that. I've given my uh, family permission as well as my uh, close colleagues permission to give me feedback. And that has helped me because I know that by granting them that permission, whatever they give me comes from a place of love. Mm. So they will actually be able to point out and say, oh, mom, I think you are a bit harsh there. Or if it's my assistant, she might actually say, oh, truly, I think you just managed to let that one go. I would have actually dealt with it harsher. Mm. So it does give me that opportunity to hear other people's uh, point of view. And I think in that way, it also says to them, as a leader, I will not always get it right. And it's also okay to seek other people's uh, opinions. Yes. And also it gives you good balance because sometimes you might even judge yourself harshly and other people don't see it the same way you did. So, you know, it's good to have the, the harsh criticism or feedback, but also the, the genuine where you might be actually over, you know, um, uh, judging yourself yourself too harshly on those. So it's good to have the, that feedback where you get a good balance. But bearing in mind that at, at, in, in most of those cases you have, with respect, a title above people. So one must be very careful, mm. even as a parent. I have a title as mom or dad over my children, so yes. the kind of feedback they may give could be padded a little bit, uh, especially your assistant or more junior staff members. I mean, colleagues, that could be different. And your boss, of course, they would often be quite open and frank because they have a title above you. So one must just be careful that, that the title doesn't get in the way, the position doesn't get in the way. And, and therefore, when people say, I mean, I, I think of our beloved former president. I'm sure a lot of people around him told him, President, don't worry, you're fine. You know, no, 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 you're good. You're, you're sharp. You're the man. In the meantime, he was just losing contact with reality. So. Yes. Um, true. So we must just be careful of that that point. Very but true. but brilliant. Um, we need that objective, and that's why the coaching industry has become so strong, uh, so so active because it gives leaders that safe space in which they can hopefully get that sort of reflective feedback. Tuli, the next point that to you describe an authentic leader, and I think it builds on this point. Okay. So. The next point, uh, I think I did uh, touch on it briefly, and maybe I can just uh, expand on it. It's about being comfortable about who I am as a leader. Because once I'm comfortable about myself, it's easier for me to accept others, no matter how uh, they are. And I don't then try and change them to become like me. So it's kind of like saying, you okay, I'm okay, and together we are okay. So you don't have to become like a toolie. And in fact, if I as a leader were to try and surround myself with people that think exactly like me, I'll be doing a disservice to myself and the role that I hold because then I'd be cloning uh, more toolies and bring them into my department. Whereas in essence, I need to be saying, what are those, uh, those areas that I'm not good at? Therefore, I need to find someone who could actually compliment me. And that can only happen if I'm comfortable with who I am as a person, because it makes it easier for me to accept you as a person who's different and diverse from me. It also talks to the diversity that is our country. It says you're okay whether you are a guy. It doesn't matter the race that you are. I'm okay with that because I'm comfortable with who I am. 
and I'm comfortable with who you are as a person and I accept you the way you are. That for me is important. Instead of trying to put people into holes that they actually don't fit into. So, so a thought crossing my mind as we speak, and this is the power of conversation. You, you think that you grasp a, a lot of principles, but as you converse with a leader on this platform or in conversations, you start seeing things different. Yesterday we were with Adrian Gorse, uh, you know, the founder of Discovery. Uh, and uh, again, he said a few things that just triggered different thoughts in my mind. Uh, could I try and state it as follows, just, uh, you know, on the spot? Perhaps yes. my acceptance of others for who they really are is directly in parallel with the level to which I um, know myself, the level to which I, um, yeah, know myself. So if I don't yes. know myself at a very deep level, then I will accept people at not so deep a level. But if I know myself at a level of 100, let's say, then I'll accept people for who they are at a level of 100. Does, does it make uh, Maybe there's, there's a direct correlation there, not that I can pull on research or anything, but but maybe a leader who doesn't know himself very well and hides through, uh, f through hierarchy or hides behind uh, an autocratic style perhaps is not going to be that accepting of others at all um, yeah. as opposed to one that truly knows myself and therefore, as you say, I can have a deeper appreciation for the fact that you're different and I'm different and, and we're all okay. So does it make sense? It does, certainly. It does. It does. Mm. Kevin? Um, I, I also agree with you, Adrian. Um, I've, I've noticed, and going back to what Tuli was saying, is that quite often people who are in this uproar and get frustrated and angry and shouting and carrying on, oftentimes it's not about who they're accusing. It's about what's going on in their own life. It's almost a reflection of what they're saying is exactly what they're doing themselves. And how they're feeling about themselves. And how they're feeling about themselves. So when... I've found, and, and even in our relationship and in, in the way we work, that I've noticed that. I've noticed that even in myself, that the more that I've understood myself and accept myself, when my son does something crazy or, or really it would have been frustrating years ago, but it's not that anymore. I'm a lot more calmer and a lot more, um, a lot more understanding in my approach to him. Yes, I still need to speak to him about those issues, but it's not so angry and frustrating and mm. it ends up being in a big argument. It's a lot calmer, which he appreciates. Then he's more open with me and it's a reflection on, on anybody else out so there. It also comes back to the space that you're in. Here's a question yes. for the two of you and it's just come to mind. How do I know that I know myself well enough? Uh, I mean, you know, there's this good statement. I saw it on one of the slides in one of our programs, Tuli. Um, I, mm. I really shouldn't do it injustice by trying to quoted verbatim uh, it'll come to me now but but it's about not not knowing um yeah how do i know that i know myself well enough what do you think um that's a difficult uh, question and i don't think there could only be one answer i think it's an ongoing uh, journey where you think you know yourself and then something else happens that shifts uh, what you thought was uh, knowledge of yourself to a different level. So I think it is an ongoing journey and it gets deeper by the experiences. And 
it's also not going in one direction. You might just think that I've understood this element about myself. And then maybe you find yourself in a situation and you react in a way that's totally different to what you thought was what you understood about yourself. And that actually throws you out completely because you kind of say to yourself, I thought I knew myself. Why did I react that way? So it's fluid. It changes all the time. So you might think you know yourself and something just happens and it triggers um, a different way of reacting. But having said that, you, you would actually know certain things because you will see patterns that are emerging of this is how I tend to react to things. This is how I tend to approach things. This is what triggers uh, certain behaviors in me. And in them so doing, you are able to control that which needs to be controlled in that understanding of yourself. But yes, you're right. It is quite a, a mystery. You could never know yourself 100%. And I think if you got to a point where you thought you knew yourself 100%, uh, you'd need to be worried that arrogance has started uh, to creep in. Mm. You know, it's a journey. See, that's why I, I'm, I'm so kind of challenging the three of us and, and every other guest that I've had on for how long because we all know that we have to know ourselves and we we also realize that most leadership programs would start off with a self-awareness course and the world is so, suddenly awoken to the principle that leaders must be very self-aware and then I ask the question well okay if we tell leaders to get to know themselves when will they know that they know themselves uh, and that's and almost there's a paradox for me in this it's a weird one and I'll think about yeah. it more we don't have to try and solve the riddle right it's, now but but let's just think about that. I mean, we, we keep telling leaders to do that. But um, when do I know I've arrived, if I ever arrive? Kevin, quick comment. Let's move to the next point. Yeah, the, the, my quick comment is fully agree with what Tuli was saying because it is a journey. If you think about anything else that we do in life, whether you're a chef, an artist, a, 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 um, a driver or, or a CEO or anything, it is a journey. And it's a constantly – and I think – your question is, how do I know that I'm myself well enough? Well, just for the very fact that you're actually consciously aware that I'm, I'm getting to know myself, I'm using people to assist me, you're well enough for that moment. Whereas as you progress, and if you continue to progress like with anything else, as you continue to practice, you get to the next, you constantly are well enough for that moment. But when you look back over years or whatever and look back, you realize five years ago I wasn't didn't know myself well enough as well as I do now, mm. but it is a constant journey, like Tilly said. So I mean, if I as I sit here, I I know that I know myself, but I also know I don't know myself well enough. Correct. Yeah, I, I, agree. I really feel it instinctively inside of me. If I had to be honest with myself, I do not know myself well enough. Um, yet I I do feel I know myself. Anyway, let's not get too philosophical. <laughs> Julie, what's the next what's the next statement or principle that you describe authentic leadership? Okay, so the next one for me is it's about how you touch people's lives as you interact with them. And that is a very um special um point for me and it's a passion of mine. And I suppose it stems from the fact that I started my uh, corporate journey right at the bottom, and therefore it is always a privilege when I deal with uh, junior staff members because I can truly say I've got a connection with people at different levels, 
right from the bottom of the organization to the top of the organization and be very authentic about it, that it's not just something that I'm saying because I'm trying to say it to make someone feel better about themselves. Mm. So, so you don't forget uh, what it was like to be there. I mean, I, I ask it sincerely. I, I think one does to some degree forget. If I sit in front of Adrian Gore and 20 plus years ago, he started a small little business, which is now a giant of a business, Yes. 40, 50, 60 billion turnover. Can he honestly relate to a small startup? Uh, or has he forgotten that a little bit? I mean, that's that's just probably not the same example, apples with apples. But but uh, it sounds to me like you've made an effort over the years to keep connecting with that part of you. Uh, definitely. And maybe that's because it was a painful um, era in my life. And therefore, I never want to forget it. And I constantly remind myself. And I think uh, when I kind of feel like I'm about to forget, I sit down and remind myself about the gratitude that I should be uh, showing for what I'm able to do. And therefore, remind myself to say, you knew what it felt like to be at the bottom. What are you doing then to lift other people as you uh, as you? continue to grow in your own position. So touching people's lives while you interact with them to you also reflect authentic leadership. What I hear you yes. say is what helps you touch their lives is to truly understand where they're coming from. And what's, what helps you understand is that you come from there. Yes. But of course you touch people's lives in many other ways by truly listening to them, by um, trying to understand and realizing that they are different from you and that that's okay. So going to the previous point, there's lots of things that help you or principles that help you or beliefs that help you um, truly touch people's lives. But I, I guess what you're saying is if I'm a CEO, but I don't try and touch people's lives by interacting with them. I'm just building the business and shareholders value and shareholder value and so on then I'm not yes. necessarily an authentic leader. Well, I, I think if you are that CEO, then you are not taking the business with you as uh, you grow. You're focusing more, mostly on just uh, the financials. Whereas if you are then an all-rounder, yes, the financials are very important as a CEO, but it's also about the culture that's in the organization because that culture can actually drive uh, the business, can actually drive the growth in the organization. So it's about having a balanced view of assessing your uh, leadership effectiveness as a leader and not just only dwell on the financials. Those are very important, but it's also about what is the culture that is existing in my organization as a CEO. And I believe if the answer to that is there's a great culture, then as a CEO, you could actually then say we're doing uh, things well okay excellent I, I and i can't wait for us to talk a little bit about your story uh, before we get there i think you have at least one more principle or uh, statement that you describe authentic leadership around integrity and personal values tell us about that yes uh i think for me as a leader that is such an important uh, aspect integrity and honesty are very important to me. So it's about you as a leader having your own personal 
set of uh, values that are important to you and sharing them with those people that are around you and living them every single day, not just only talking about them because people are tired of listening to what is being said and they now want to watch what is actually happening, but living those values so that people can actually see in whatever you're doing, those values um, coming up because then people can say, we know that truly values uh, leadership, um, honesty. We know that uh, truly values integrity. And we actually see it because that is how she does things. So only when people see what you're doing, you know, if, you, if one of, of your values, for instance, is caring for people and people feel that, but you don't show care, well, then they'll quickly see through you. So for me, it is important that when I say I care for people, that I actually leave that and people can actually feel it. So when I get people come to me and say, Tuli, you know what? I feel that you care about me or Tuli, I feel that despite being a senior leader, you are approachable. Despite being a senior leader, it's easy to actually come and just talk to you and be vulnerable. And I know that once I've spoken to you about something, it just stays between the two of us. I don't have to worry about anyone getting to know it. And that for me is important. And, and again, you know, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it, Tuli and, and Kevin, because we live in a world where um, you, you may try and live your values, but you're fighting the fact that you're human. And while I want to be caring and listening and, and, and kind to my people, I also need to hold them accountable for performance and be tough at times. But over and above that, there are days that I'm down. Because I'm human, yes. I have a physical body. Um, I have things that go wrong inside my physical body. I've, I have a headache today or I don't realize it, but I'm catching malaria now because I had a mosquito bite a few weeks ago or, or whatever it is. And, and now I may not be that patient with you today. And then people slam you hard because somehow we expect our leaders to be perfect. So, and, and make it more complex for, let's say, your more visible leaders, your political leaders. You've got fake news. You've got the ability these days to destroy a leader's reputation by just sending a false tweet or, um, you know, spreading rumors in, in so many, many ways. And eventually, if you live who you are and you are who you are, uh, you will overcome that. But, but I've seen that happen. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just saying for our leaders out there, just, just always promote the fact that I'm human. Yes, I do have integrity. Yes, I try and be honest in everything that I, that I do and say. But I am human, and if I make a mistake, I'll apologize. It, it's just not easy. Kevin, you want to comment on that? I, I, I agree with everything that has been said. Um, and, and I think but that's what makes you authentic when you acknowledge that. You know, when, you, when you're short with somebody and they come back and they give you feedback and say, oh, but Kevin, you were short with me or it was inappropriate. Yet and you say you care for people. Yes, you know? but quite often most the people who really know you well and even people who don't know you well sense that. Sense, and they, quite often, and I've, I'm sure we've all seen that, people say, oh, Kevin, are you okay? You, you, you don't look yourself. They know you well enough to know that when you snap or, or do something out of the ordinary, that something's not right. And it might be something that you're not even aware of. You know, when you start getting ill like malaria, you don't know what it is in the beginning. And some of those things take a while to, to, to determine. So, yes, uh, it's very true. And I think the people are forgiving because of your 
authenticity that has been overwhelming over your over their experience with you. Um, those are things that they absorb mm. and 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 overlook if, if in a in a way. Uh, Tuli, maybe you want to come back on this one, but I I, I have a, an experience this week of someone that I trust a lot. I asked him to go through a very important document for me. And he's just taking days and days, not getting back to me. And I send him messages and saying, uh, you know, any feedback. And, and he doesn't come back to me. And, and I started getting upset. I thought, well, did I do anything wrong? And suddenly I just stopped and realized this is not like him. So my message to him, the next one wasn't, where the hell are you? It was, listen, it's not like you to never come back to me. Uh, are you okay? And then he said, no, can you please call me? And then I called him. We had a good chat. And he has been through tough times. So fortunately, I was able to, to, to look at who he was and to say, hold on, um, this is not like him, so maybe he's not okay. And, and that kind of speaks to what, what you're saying, Kevin. His integrity, I, I almost questioned it, but it wasn't fair. Tuli, you want to come back on this one before we look at um, the, the broader Tuli? Okay, I, I think uh, Kevin has actually uh, addressed a number of points which I was going to address. But what I just want to add uh, to that is that as a leader, it's also okay to share with those that are around you how you are feeling. So let's say, for instance, you've got a hectic week. There's absolutely nothing wrong with coming to the department and say, guys, I've got a hectic week, uh, deadlines and everything. So I'm actually um, quite hectic. Hmm. That, in a way, is like kind of like a subtle warning so that they then understand that maybe whilst during the, the week, but all the time to chat and listen to anything else that's that's going on in their lives. This is the one time when you're saying, listen, guys, I'm just so hectic. So only bother me if it's something that's absolutely important. So you can also share with people so that they do know the space that you are in in order to then react accordingly. I mean, if you've just said to a person, I've got a hectic week, I've got a deadline in 30 minutes time. They can't now just come to you and say, man, how was the weekend? What did you think of rugby? Well, they do know. You just told them that you, you've got a hectic uh, week and you've got deadlines that are coming in the next 30 minutes. Mm. Yeah, good point. So uh, it's just communicating, isn't it? And it's just being yes. yourself. Just being yourself and, and, and not trying to portray as being a superhero that um, yes. I'm always perfect and in control and uh, you can't be today. If you're going to try and project that you know everything or that you're in control and that you're always okay in today's ridiculously crazy world, I'm sorry, you're going to be caught out very quickly. Yeah. All right, Tuli. Um, I mean, just briefly, you grew up in Soweto. You had a detour or two that brought you back, I think. And you ended up, was it your dad's spaza shop? Um, but but let's just, just very quickly, your background, not, not too long, uh, because I want to get to that one pivotal moment that potentially um, – put you on another path that took you to where you are today? Okay. So my parents were migrant workers, both from uh, Ladysmith. So they met in Joburg and they got married. So once I was born, I stayed with them in Soweto for some time. But uh, when it came to the decision for me to attend school, I couldn't uh, stay in Soweto because at that point in time, the state of education uh, wasn't great, lots and lots of riots and so on. So I was shipped uh, to Ladysmith in Natal to stay with my um, grandmother and my aunts. So in a way, I was raised by uh, my grandmother and my aunts. 
and my parents uh, at a later stage. So mom and dad would come uh, once a month. So fast forward that. So I did primary school in Ladysmith. I was then shipped uh, to boarding school um, in Ladysmith and then Peter Maritzburg. And then when I finished uh, school then, I came back to stay with my parents uh, in Soweto. Mm. But when I finished matric, I was also pregnant. So that wasn't a great time to be spending time with my parents in Soweto because um, you can imagine the tension that was uh, at home. So in a nutshell, that's where I grew up. So I grew okay. up in Ladysmith, Peter Marisbeck, and then Soweto. So, so I mean, uh, one would say, and you did fairly well at school, didn't you? you, you were yes, a, I did. You're an intelligent As my dad uh, used to tease me, uh, he used to say, uh, my daughter got two certificates. Uh, she got a metric exemption, um, a metric certificate, and she also got um, a baby as a second certificate. Yeah. So, so here's a, an intelligent person who can now build a career, and we all know if you then end up in your situation with a little baby in your back yes. in your parents' home, that's not a good start, potentially. Okay, It can set you back. You can't easily go study. Um, that's why some, you know, it's not easy. And, and, and yes. so your dad was a, was a businessman and you ended up working with him or was it an uncle? I, I don't recall. My, my dad was actually a, uh, a supervisor working for the post office uh, in Johannesburg uh, CBD. And my mom was a domestic worker, but at a later stage, then uh, she stayed at home. So when I found myself pregnant, I obviously couldn't uh, continue with my tertiary education. And I had to watch my friends go to universities and go to colleges. So it was quite a dark uh, space to be in because here I was uh, wishing that I could be where they are at university, but I couldn't. Mm. And in a way, it meant that I had to skip a stage. I mean, if someone says to me, what does it feel like to be a teenager at 18 or 19? I can't honestly answer you because I was a parent at that point in time. So I needed to grow up uh, pretty fast. Mm. And, of course, I used all my chances. I didn't have the right to ask for an education at university. So I started looking for a job uh, in Soweto. Not really that it was a job, but I thought, you know what, if I just stay here, I'm going to go crazy. Fortunately, with my mom not working at that time, she was able to look after the baby, and I went a, and found a job. wasn't paying much, but at least it was something to assist with the baby formula. Or if I needed to buy some cosmetics for myself, mm. I'd be able to do that. Mm. Okay, tell us about that job. I know it entails making fit cook like crazy, and I laughed so nicely when you said you can. No one can make it better than you. <laughs> tell us about that job, yes. and then we'll get to that moment when some arrogant young men walked in and said some things okay so the job itself was actually as a general assistant at a general dealer in Soweto now for those that don't know what a general dealer is it's actually a tiny shop um, that literally sells everything it sells everything from paraffin to um Bed cooks to uh, chips to bread to maize meal. It's also a butchery. Uh, you literally sell everything at a general dealer. So I found myself working there. So to give you an idea, 
I needed to leave home at uh, six in the morning. Uh, took me like an hour to get to the shop. So got there at seven o'clock and the shop closed at eight every single night. Um, and then we were then given a lift in the evenings. So it was quite a long uh, day and you worked uh, seven days a week. Of course, you'd have like an off day uh, once a week, but those were just the long hours that you had to work. Mm. And so in terms of the job itself, you literally would scrub the floors, uh, sweep the floors, pack the stock. Um, and I always talk about even bake the fat cooks because in Soweto, believe it or not, or in the townships, fat cooks are actually big business. You actually have people queuing in the morning uh, for fed cooks, during the day for lunch, and even at night for lunch, for dinner. And in that process, I mean, I had to learn how to make fed cooks. So, Adrian, if you ever need someone to make fed cooks, you know who to call. You can never make fed cooks the way I do. And the thing is with fed cooks in that setup, because they are actually a fast-selling commodity, you actually have to make them fast. Mm. So the speed with which you make these fat cooks uh, is actually amazing because you could actually be having this long queue outside. So, yes, so next time if you ever need fat cooks, uh, come to me. I, I just think we should start a business, Tuli, but but now we just use our, our life experience and contacts and funding and, 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 and do it in Santon or something. But we'll talk about that another day. Uh, yeah. So, so for everyone listening to this live or podcast or, or, or on the app or wherever, uh, here's a, a person who starts as an 18, 19-year-old uh, with a little baby in her parents' home working, gosh, um, more than 12-hour, 14-hour days uh, away from her child, scrubbing floors, working in a small uh, general dealership, baking fed cooks and really hard hard work. And today she is the group HR exec of SPA, okay, with a PhD. Now, we'll get there now. Okay, we'll talk about her PhD as well. We'll talk about what her thoughts are in the future. But, but just for a moment, imagine how many people have been where you were, Tuli, and they kind of got stuck there. Or maybe they moved a little bit in life, but not so far and so high and, and, and so long. So it's an amazing story. I know there are many stories like this out there, but we're not always aware of them. So I, I know there was something that happened, a, a bit of a pivotal moment, and maybe not the only one. And, and, and I'm not for one moment saying that if this didn't happen, then you wouldn't have ended up where you are today. But maybe it helped you. Just share with everyone that experience with these guys that walked into this shop and what they said and then we'll we'll go from there. Okay. Um, so because of where we were working, it was actually in Tladi in Soweto, which is a Sutu-speaking area. And we'd obviously gotten to know our customers. So one day in walks this guy who I knew. Uh, his name was Ndebu. And he was walking with a couple of his mates. And... Uh, let me just also say the General Dilla was owned by a Zulu guy uh, in a Sutu area, which is Tladi. So naturally, the people that he had hired were mainly people from KZN. And by virtue of them being from KZN, they spoke uh, Zulu. So Ndebo came in uh, to the shop and he was obviously making the assumption that 
um, you know, they are Zulus and maybe they don't uh, speak Sutu or maybe even if they do speak Sutu and understand it, uh, who cares? He wasn't uh, yeah. making yeah. any uh, excuses for that. So Ndebo then was walking in with his mates and I can imagine that maybe the question was around, so what are young girls like these ones here doing in a place like this and scrubbing floors and so on? And Debo's answer to that question was, well, these are the girls that are fetched from Guazulu uh, Natal. These are the girls that can never become anything in life. So the owner of the store actually assisted them by uh, bringing them from KZN to here because that's all they can ever become in life. And it's a pity that, you know, they are 18, they are 19, and that's exactly what they will do for the rest of their lives. What a sad story. So Debo was now becoming the advocate and talking about our plights as if we were not existing. And meanwhile, all this time, we are actually in the shop and we can actually listen to the story whilst he's relating it. That is just... Um that's just such a, a an amazing story, uh, and 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 what did that do to you? And then your reaction to it is is phenomenal for me because one person would say, "Yeah, that confirms how I feel about myself, and and this is where I'm going to end up in my life because this is just who I feel I am," but not Tuli. Tuli did something which gives you a, a signal of why you ended up where you are. I love what you did. Tell us. Um, so I spoke to my colleagues uh, whilst um, we were still in the shop after Ndebu and his crew had left. And they were very all uh, heartbroken about it. And and their take was, well, it's true. What can we do about it? And I said, well, it's not true. And we must not accept that. So I went home and I was very upset about it. And I cried the whole night to the point when I woke up in the morning my eyes actually wouldn't uh, open. And my mom said to me, Tuli, you've been crying the whole night. What happened? And I couldn't relate uh, the story to her because I was so emotional about it. And she said to me, so what are you going to do? Are you going to go to work uh, looking like this? And I said to her, yes, I will go to work. I have to go to work. Otherwise, I'll get fired. So I then uh, went to the shop. I had to wear uh, sunglasses the whole day because my eyes were just so sore from uh, all the crying. And as much as Ndebu had said this, he had uh, touched a nerve because I had been thinking about my actions. The fact that my child didn't ask to be born. If I didn't uh, do something to turn my life around, his destiny was actually going to be the same as mine. He was going to end up in the same store or similar store as the one I'm working in. And because he was a guy, he might even get into drugs and uh, gangs and so on and so on. And I didn't like the prospect of that. And I realized that, you know what, this child didn't ask to be born. And if I am to change the cause of his future, I have to change myself. And right now, I don't know how, but I don't like where I am. So I went back to work uh, the next day and went on with my day-to-day -day work. So Ndebu was, um, I think he was attending college. So came back uh, in the afternoon, as they all did after work or after school or after college, whatever it is that they did. 
And uh, he greeted us. And I took out an envelope, and I, an A4 envelope, and I gave it to him. And he said to me, uh, so what is this? I said, no, no, you can open it. You can, um, you can read. And then he took the envelope, and he opened it. And in that envelope was uh, my metric certificate. So he said, whose certificate is this? So I said to him, you can read. I'm sure you can see that the names that are there, there's one of them that says uh, Tuli. So surely you can see that that is my certificate. And in disbelief, he said to me, this is your certificate. And you are sitting here wasting away with such good results. Why? And you must actually hate me for what I said yesterday. And I said to him, Debo, I don't hate you. But I can assure you that uh, Tuli Kumalo doesn't belong here. And one of these days, I will actually uh, work hard and maybe a couple of years later, you will actually meet me and see that I did not belong at this um, general dealer, that the moment that I spent here was just a detour. And uh, whilst this detour was happening, my direction was actually being uh, crafted as I was walking. And Debo couldn't believe it. Okay, Tudy, I mean, like always, time is an issue. So that's such a powerful story. We kind of know the ending, don't we? We're talking to you today. We know who you are, what you've become, who you've become, a mother, um, kids, uh, successful in, in every respect, academically, financially, you know, positionally, as a human being, still humble. Uh, so, so altogether, just fantastic. Now, very quickly, you went to your dad and you said, Dad, I got to get out of this. I mean, I'm, I'm verbatim, and uh, as I understand, is he, he said, "Well, you don't have too much choice, and I'm not going to send you for a degree, but you can go and do a secretarial course." Uh, you, you, maybe you should tell us in, in in 30 seconds how that worked and how your career just started. Okay, so I went to my dad and I asked if he could give me a loan, and he said to me, "Look, uh, you can't go to university because there's a child to worry about." I said. That's not what I'm asking for. Can I go and do a secretarial course uh, for a year so that I can then find a job? And that's how I started my career. So I went to uh, Kelly Green Oaks, did my uh, one-year diploma, and therefore my first job was as a secretary. So I found myself employed and looking good as a secretary and not scrubbing floors or making fat boots. <laughs> Okay, and, and so there's other things I want to talk to you about, and 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 from there the rest is history. I mean, you've you've climbed the corporate ladder all the way to your position where you are now, and you still have many years left in your career. Who knows what you're going to achieve in your life? I mean, you've got your PhD, and then you go and do this very tough year coaching diploma for whatever reason, you know, just to 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 grow more and and to experience it. Now, even. Um, you know, I think it's just, Kevin, very quickly your feeling about this story. But just do you know in Tebo East today and where are the other people, the youngsters who worked in that general dealer? Do you know it all or did they? Um, unfortunately, I couldn't uh, track them. And unfortunately, those were the days when cell phones didn't exist. And so social media was mm. not an option. I've tried, but I can't actually track them. That's that's kind of sad, eh? I, I, I really it, hope it somehow is sad. Table it is sad. runs into this conversation and 
It and, is uh, sad. Hopefully he's successful, you know, and hopefully the other people in that in, in that general dealer also, um, I don't know, made some decisions following that experience. Kevin? And I tell you, it's, it's just amazing to, to hear stories like this. And like Adrian said, there's, there's many others out there. And it, it's, it's a great privilege to hear it. It is motivating even at my age, wanting to develop myself further as well. It's great uh, to hear stories like this because it encourages one, it motivates one to actually improve themselves. And uh, just really, really incredible. I'm sure there's a lot of other smaller stories within your story that that also showed great courage that you had to and to take a stand and saying this is what I want and and decision making you know eventually to join SPAR and 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 where you are now and and what you studied so thank you for sharing that 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 is absolutely awesome to hear thank you today um I know some people would be made by those experiences and some would be broken by them, and, and you were made by that. Uh, you knew inside of you there's something special, and, 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 and you certainly took that far. Now, I mean, we can have a conversation now around resilience. These are the experiences that give us resilience, and I think that's the conversation we had on the day on the TCC course um, about resilience, and, and, and that's why you shared this experience with the group, which I, I know touched everyone. You went on to become the group HR exec of SPA and you did a PhD. Just tell us quickly the theme, the research you did there on your PhD, the essence of it. So the research itself was a qualitative research using a methodology called autoethnography, which is about looking into the subject and analyzing that subject. It just so happened that that subject was me. So it was more complex as a research in that I was doing research. So I was the researcher and I was also the subject. So I had to, at every given point, be mindful of the role that I was playing. There were times when I actually had to step in and criticize uh, the subject, even though I'm the researcher and I'm the same person and saying, what is the subject um, displaying and so on? So it was quite a hard one because it was like I've given myself permission to criticize myself. Mm. And that was the nature of uh, my research. And um, the the title of my research was I asked the question of whether in the workplace was I a rose or a thorn. And it was my experience as a black female manager in a male-dominated environment that I was asking whether, does the workplace see me as a rose or am I, thaw- am I, am I a thorn? And that is uh, the title of my uh, PhD. Sure. So, so just explain rose and thorn in this context. Is it as we, as we see it or just to make sure we're on the same page? So, yes, it's as we see it to say, well, I was a female in a male-dominated environment. So was I seen as a rose? as in pretty different uh, from us as males, or was I a thorn? Because certain things had to change. For instance, you can't swear because Tuli is around. Gee, if she wasn't around, we would have sworn. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it's not nice having her around. So I was interrogating the positives of being there and the negatives of being there. Okay, well, tell us what you discovered. I mean, is it has, was it of value to you? Uh, has it helped you further? 
is it of value to other uh, female executives and leaders in your position? Okay, so my findings, if I can just summarize them uh, briefly, was that it's definitely, even now, very different and difficult for females to progress in terms of their careers. And that is something that we as females continue to wrestle with. Even I did my uh, PhD 10 years ago. Even now, when I interact with other female uh, leaders that are still um, making their way to the top, they continuously talk about it's so difficult. It's so damn difficult to make it as a female uh, leader. Mm. So it, it is still difficult. You're right. A week or two ago, I was with a female, black female executive uh, in a listed entity, very well-known company. And I was there to talk about something totally different. But it didn't take her long to explain that until recently she was the only female, um, never mind black female, on that executive uh, amongst a bunch of male. And I could see, and she said it very clearly, how tough it has been. Another female has now joined them, which may make it easier. But, but I mean... It just came out. It's not a question yeah. I asked. It's not a – you can see it weighs on her. It it, it really yes. is challenging. What is your advice, your, your, your comment to those leaders out there? How to deal with it perhaps? Does it come down to knowing yourself again? But just some, some words of encouragement. I think it comes down to, to knowing yourself definitely, but also putting your priorities forward. I mean, I'll give you an example. I found earlier on in my career that, you know, there were expectations such as on a Friday, we will go to uh, the social club and have drinks and whatever the case is. It's great. But remember that I'm a female and uh, as a career woman, I also am a mother. So, yes, whilst it's fine for my husband to stay at a social club at his company and have drinks and come back home at 10, if I did the same, then it means that my kids are actually sitting outside because they can't get into the house and the house is dark. They haven't been fed dinner or whatever the case is. So my take right from that point was to say, I won't make excuses for uh, trying to fit in. I'm first and foremost a mom and course I am a leader and I do have aspirations uh, to advance and so on but they cannot happen at the detriment detriment of my kids so I made it very clear from the onset to say guys I would want to come to work functions and so on and so on but I cannot stay until uh, 6, 8, 10 at night on a Friday because my kids need me so it's about stating your principles and sticking with them instead of trying to appease people whilst trying to fit in and, and that's tough, hey, because if you make that known and boldly known too quickly in your career, the truth is uh, you may not get that advancement. But, of course, the reason put forward will not be, well, you can't be with the boys on Friday afternoon, and, and that doesn't work for our culture, I'm afraid. So now you have yes. to – you feel inside maybe. You rationalize. You feel I, I've got to play along just to – and once I get there, then I can be open about who I really am. But, but you also can't do that. Then you're not authentic. So – so you, I can see a few contradictions now. Tough it can be to navigate, being yes. open about this all along, and then you get this, this gut feel that the reason I didn't get that job into that senior position is because it does not fit in with the, the boys' club and, and the culture yes. in that specific team. 
but you can't put your finger on it. You can't prove it. You can't yes. say it. You can't yes. be a, a complainer. It's a gut feel. Yeah. So, 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 man, difficult to navigate. But, but you've navigated through all of that, and 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 I, and I hope that you, you we can find ways. Are there forums for leaders to to counsel and, and work through this? Um, surely there are those kind of forums for women leaders to to to, to be able to. I don't know, have a shoulder to cry on and get some advice and input. Is it out there? Yes, they are. They are. And that is why it's important uh, for a female leader or any leader for that matter to have a support structure. And that's why, you know, subjects such as coaching have now become so uh, widespread because it's that opportunity for a person to connect and speak to someone who understands. Tuli, I mean, the time just flew by. My goodness, that, that's our leadership masterclass. And, and I just want a final comment from you for, for leaders out there. Uh, you're feeling about South Africa. Just, but, but let's stick to There's so much we can still talk about. We can talk more about this theme that we ended off with. But um, any, any feelings you have, uh, you know, a thought you want to share with leaders in the corporate environment? What does your heart <laughs> tell you to, to, to share? Uh, so for me, if I look at what is currently happening in our country, it's just so exciting. And it only can speak to us as a nation because of our resilience. We are, are just amazing. We are unstoppable. If you think about it, a week ago, there was so much uncertainty. And a week later, we are transforming. You know, there is just so much hope. There is so much that we are now looking forward to. Mm. And only South Africans can do that. So I'm feeling very positive as a country. Uh, There are so many things that we still need to focus on. And I'm just saying, if one looks at where we've come from, thinking of the Nelson Mandela release and where we are today, I'm saying there's no reason why we cannot regain those uh, victories that we, uh, we had back then. So I'm very positive about what's going on, very excited. And as a leader that's passionate about um, people development, uh, I think my last comments would really be around South Africa. Yes, all the changes are great. And the government is hopefully going to do things the right way. But we as uh, the private sector, I think we must also realize the fact that the solutions can never come from government. So we need to do our best in terms of developing the skills of our workforce so that we can also compete with the best countries in the world and be able to say we've got the skilled workforce in South Africa. Thank you so much. Kevin, 30 seconds. 20 seconds. Julie, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, and thank you for your your hope and positiveness. We feel the same here at Leadership Platform about the future and being in our country. We don't want to leave. This is where we want to be and be part of that solution in our sphere of influence, in our families, in our homes, in our friends. And uh, and thank you for that. It is wonderful to know there's more people out there with the same with the same vision if I can call it a vision or, or a motivation. Thanks, Kevin. Dr. Tulasile Sazile Tabudi, Group HR Exec at SPA, thank you so much for sharing some leadership thoughts, sharing your life story openly and making yourself vulnerable in that sense and inspiring. And we look forward to sharing this on Cliff Central, but of course um, 
also on the app and wherever we can. Thank you for your time. Go go be your that busy executive now. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kevin. A pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for today's Leadership Masterclass with Tuli. What a wonderful experience, and we look forward to being with you again next week, as always. Cheers. This is CliffCentral.com.